0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast, I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman and this is episode 182 where I had a chat with Jeanette MacDonald, the actor, you know her, of course, everyone in New Zealand knows her as and from Lin of Tawa, the creation, uh, which she talked about recently on the Funny As documentary. She doesn't really like talking about that, she sort of feels like it's a story that she has to keep repeating. So, of course, I asked her about it um, early on, got that out of the way. And then we talked about her life and her acting. And uh, this was in the green room of Circa Theatre when she was... um, It was the first day of rehearsals for a play, which comes out next week, as you're listening to this, at Circa called The Pink Hammer. So we do preview that. Uh, It's not as long as some of the other podcast episodes because, as I just said, we were scratching for time doing this while she was about to start learning her lines and rehearsing for this play. But I, I was amazed to get this opportunity. I was frankly nervous to talk to Jeanette MacDonald. I I don't know her. I one day bumped into her on the um, beach walking my dog and she was walking her dog and we talked to each other the way people walking dogs do. I didn't um, say that I knew her or loved her work or had been watching her my whole life uh, even though in a brief moment I wanted to and then a few weeks later there I was sitting down talking to her and her dog is in the room you'll hear her dog it was the first trip out to Circa Theatre for her wee pup um, and so it's a, yeah it's a funny old world I couldn't believe my luck and uh, and she was nowhere near as scary as I thought she might be. She's a, a, a funny and fabulous talent and, uh, and she was great to talk to. We had a, a, a bit of a laugh, I think, and um, she's got some amazing stories and you'll get to hear some of them. So this is me talking with the amazing Jeanette McDonald. My thanks, as always, to Tea Leaf Tea, Le La Petite Chocolat and Easty Boys. How many interviews have, have you done? Would you have any idea? I wouldn't. You wouldn't, would you? And how many have you done that you've enjoyed? You'd have more of an idea of that, if you were <laughs> honest.
1: Well, we had a rather loopy <laughs> one with Kim Hill, my daughter and I. We're, oh,
0: doing recently. You know, Kim,
1: I admire Kim's mind very much. <clears throat> In fact, I like Kim. <clears throat> but she's you know, takes no prisoners and has a mind like a... Steel trap. Steel trap. <clears throat> yeah. And um, she seemed to have taken leave of her senses, and it was quite. It was like we were all stoned. It was, people texted me that it was the maddest interview they'd ever wow, heard, but okay. that was enjoyable. Yeah,
0: yeah, I bet I haven't heard that, but um, I have heard her in that in that territory, and she. I, I got interviewed by her once, and she, almost went into that zone with me, and she certainly did. As soon as we finished recording, you know, as soon as we stepped away, she was a completely different person. Mm. Uh, consistent. Yeah. But you know, the 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 complete. The rules of the interview was over I guess what I try to do with these is um, they're an interview in the sense that we're talking and you've got something to plug potentially or uh, in this case you have with the, with the play we'll talk about the Pink Hammer but, but um, yeah I just want to get a sense of who a person is and the arc of their career and I want it to be a bit, you know we don't know each other, but I want, hopefully, by the end of the conversation for it to feel like maybe we do. Right. right. That's that's the aim. Okay. Uh, if some of them end up being straight question-answer interview things. But I just, I guess the, what I was getting at was, yeah, you must get bored by some of the 10-minute phone interviews you have to do. I get, I get bored, I got bored giving them, you know, like being on the other end of them. Well, it's not that I get bored, but I do...
1: I get a little bit mystified. so many people who I think um, sh- perhaps should know better, I don't know mm. would say, how did Lin of Tower become a thing? Mm. And I did say once it should be on a microchip at the you know <laughs> National Library because yeah. I've said it so many times and yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, 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 Google would well you
0: tell talk- people well this is embarrassing because this is my first question. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but you know, you've recently talked about it for the, the doco again, so that's the, oh, right, di- that's right. the definitive. Yeah. Maybe that's going to be the...
1: Well, hopefully. I think that will finally put to rest this thing, hmm. again, from people who should know better, uh, you know, people with degrees hmm. and uh, heads of companies and things who, who think that I am somehow a girl from, you know, the northern suburbs. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, that interview was so deranged that anyone, anyone would realise I'm nothing like
0: her. <laughs> yeah, either. but isn't that... I mean, that's that's the wonderful thing, is the, uh, that you hadn't been to Tawa until you'd become famous as Lin of Tawa. That's almost a... That's one of those New Zealand stories, I think. Right. that story, yeah. you know, like... Uh, for a lot of people would assume that if you weren't born and bred there, that you... Went and studied the place to create the No, I didn't study you.
1: No. Um, hey hey, Fifi, that I think that's rat poison, whatever that is. So oh yeah is. And there may well be a rat in there by the It might way be one of those by. humane trap
0: things. Come here. <laughs> Something that
1: No, you don't want away. that, whatever it is. Come here. <laughs> come here. Come
0: up here. Fifi, come up here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Anyway, carry on. Uh, yeah, so well, well, let's. I mean, outside of people asking you that question, I'm wondering how much of a. I mean, it, it, it's a huge part of your legacy, but yeah. how much of a millstone has it felt like at various times? It's it's a milestone, but did it feel like a, a millstone?
1: It, um. Everybody always thinks they're capable of, um, you know, in whatever they choose to do, mm. they're capable of better. And um, I, I, I always, in, in, the, in the first instance, set out to be a good, versatile actress. And to that end, I, you know, went to England very young and mm. worked with good, versatile actors mm. and um, was disillusioned of any glamour there. And that was before Lynn of Tower was found. Mm. Because that people well-known, like I worked with... Um, Oi! Dog, don't do that.
0: So I lift it up?
1: She won't remember, but I worked with um, Emma Thompson's mother, Phyllida DeLors. Oh, wow. At least three yeah. times. Wow. But I was playing a much smaller part than her. But, you know, all these sort of household name type people, mm. um, their lives weren't easy. A lot of them were on sort of Xanax or something like that just mm. to get through the pressure. And um, it certainly woke me up that it's it's very much a business and a discipline rather than mucking well, how, around.
0: How did you get to London? How, how roughly? How old were you? And I was nineteen. And so that's a big move at that time. That's an interesting. Oh,
1: I was full of myself. I mean, the uh, the precursor to Toyfakadi, the drama school, had started um, while I was at school, run by Nola Miller, who founded. Toy Ficardi mm. subsequently. And she called it Wellington New Theatre and I went to that with Cathy O'Shea, my friend. Mm. John O'Shea, the filmmaker's daughter. Mm. We were at school together. And Sarah Della Hunty also. We, we were all very precocious. And um, Sarah and I ended up unpaid apprentices at Downstage Theatre. While we were working for that, not working, training mm. on Friday nights for Nolan Miller's youth theatre we devised a youth cabaret review type thing um, written by one of us's older sister Jane Hewland who went on to be head of production at ITV in England but Jane wrote this script called My Vote Belongs to Daddy which was a slogan used by the young girls who uh, Nicola Young's a city councillor now Mm. but Mm. they were Um, They were going around town with placards saying, my vote belongs to Daddy, because their father was a a staunchly right-wing National Party guy. And we thought, how lame, so we called it (laughs) this review. Anyway, we did this review for a limited audience in the space we were occupying up in Arthur Street. Mm. um, Then we got all full of ourselves. This is 14 years old, and invited um, Richard Campion, Jane's father, and Tim Elliott, a marvellous actor who is dead now, they were both running downstage together. And we just summoned them to come and look (laughs) at our play, and they sat there, and we showed off madly in our op-art clothing. And and, um, they said, very good, what do you want us to do? And we said, we want to be on at downstage as a late-night review. And they said, well, you don't ask for much. But they were so intrigued Mm. by these quite cute. I think there were about eight of us, about three boys and girls. And we we were cute and no one else had done it. So we ended up doing this show at Downstage at late night in our zany clothes and everything. Mm. This is like the 60s. Yeah. And then um, Sarah Delahunty and I, she went on to write a lot of plays and act and so on. Mm. We just were so entranced, we just never left. We were waitressing and like building sets and prompting for plays doing anything and it was the best apprenticeship you could really have. Mm. I think they just sort of put up with us.
0: Mm.
1: Well Sarah they put up with because she was ravishingly gorgeous. She was sort of elfin and they all had unsuitable thoughts about her, all the actors. <laughs> but, um, no, I just hung around there until Bruce Mason, who was a family friend, when I was, like, about 15 and a half, said, oh, Jeanette, we'd like to be in this play, Noel Card play. And I said, yes, at playing a French-speaking maid. He said, I've told Tony <laughs> Grosser, who's the director, and Tony Grosser was... Is, was the father of Tim Grosser, you know.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. He said, I told him you're fluent in French because of your mother. And I said, well, I'm not fluent. I can act doing the accent.
0: Well, let's go back a half step. How do you get a family friend like Bruce Mason? I mean, oh. <laughs> you know, like, that's, um, that's, that's very handy given what you go on to do. But how does my that happen and when ha- are you aware of it?
1: My mother was half French. She'd been brought up in London. Mm. And she was... It, it, flighty, gorgeous looking woman who after the war married my father who was stationed in London in the war and came here and thought it was frightful, you know and not sophisticated Mm. and she wore trousers into Courtney Place the first day and some women called her a slut. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so she cultivated anybody sort of artistic and you know, like Helen Young, who's just died, all sorts, yeah. you know. And a lot of men they call used to call lavender because they mm-hmm. didn't have homosexual law reform. A lot of very cultivated gentlemen who weren't married, you know, who she used as escorts for her lady friends who weren't... who were single too. They were probably gay, come to think of it. But anyway, she, they went to the theatre, they, they took us to the theatre, they took us to things. She was desperately trying to recreate a civility she thought was lacking in right. in the culture at the time. But, but... more, she would have been right about. To a degree, though yeah. it was in some ways more cultivated, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I remember going down when we lived at Oriental Bay, before I was five, we'd walk down to Courtney Place and it was all small green grocery shops and little but- kosher butchers, things like that, huge emigre um, post-war thing of um, Jewish people and people from Eastern Europe, and but the common currency was French, and I think the reason I speak French so appallingly, well not in fact non-existently, is because I was even then trying to find a New Zealand identity and it was just downright embarrassing to have one's mother gabbling away in French yeah. courtney place to other uh, to old you know ancient old Lithuanian women and stuff but Bru- Bruce Mason was married to Dr Diana Mason and my father was a doctor so right yeah yeah they had pra- they were in practice together mm-hmm. they had diametrically opposed philosophies on yeah. everything yeah and they they une- uneasily worked together for over forty years, but that's how we knew Bruce. And of course, Bruce was important to my mother because she she quite rightly thought that he was a great force for good. Yeah. Playwriting, I mean, he it, it seems outrageous and it, it it seemed outrageous and daring at the time when he wrote the Boots Tree, mm. which had Maori people in it. You know, I mean, it's. Bruce was an affected man and quite vain. He wasn't actually at heart either of those things. He he had huge humanity and when he he had he was a good-looking man and when he was ravaged by cancer of the face and jaw he still went out saying I look like a fucking gargoyle. <laughs> and I I was so touched I thought so much harder for someone who has been beautiful to you know have to go out like that but he did it with great dignity um anyway yeah so he I've known Bruce since I was born really
0: mm-hmm. so when did when did you recognize that he was who he was and how that you know meant something to you you know you were taking steps to well, i didn't have a
1: a moment like that because no. because i guess well that's why i'm asking because you wouldn't when it, when you grow up with well i guess i mean my mother was just so obsessed with pretending we didn't live in new zealand mm, mm. um she 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 made us do english things and then we didn't they didn't <laughs> i mean this is not this is not a bad thing but any stretch but this is she was trying she was so homesick, she'd, she'd come from Chelsea and been quite sheltered, mm. even though they would had lived it through a war, mm. and was now surrounded by these people who she didn't care for. They didn't have Chinese restaurants. Once a week, she would make my father go in the Vauxhall V lox or whatever it was, with a large um, pressure cooker down to a, the Chinese restaurant Courtney Place, fill it with chopped suey or something. Mm. And then we all had to sit down, because she had seven children by the end, none of which she really should have had, given her disposition. But we had... we were forced to eat with chopsticks, because um, she just assumed we'd grow up sophisticated and be going to places where they used chopsticks, and she was damned if her children weren't going to, you know, be Mm -hmm. familiar... So it was an unusual um, upbringing. Mm, mm. It it made my identity as a teenager trying to struggle with my where I belonged identity um, twice as hard because
0: I honestly thought I don't belong here, I shall go. Is that why you went to acting, do you think? So you could put on other masks and clothes and try out different things? I went into acting like just, I would say, 80% of
1: people, I felt I didn't belong either in New Zealand or, frankly, anywhere. I went to a school where I thought they were all laughing at me. It was, I was made aware that I was different and peculiar, and I, I, I don't know what they meant by that, but I thought I was being bullied. I felt very miserable
0: wow.
1: and alone. And when Cathy O'Shea uh, joined the school in, I think, the third form, she was miserable too, John O'Shea's daughter. Mm -hmm. She felt much the same. She said shyly, I go to drama school with Nola Miller on Friday. Would you like to come? I said, I've always wanted to be an actress. (laughs) I remember thinking, that's not true. But anyway, he to go there. And instantly found a peer group. No, like-minded, mm. precocious. Your people. Precocious people, mm. little fam, family sort of thing.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, a it was, club. Mm, it was. It was good. I mean, it took a while to realise that professionalism is um, the ability to earn a living at this sort of thing, and and do it however you're feeling,
0: you know, regardless of circumstance. Get on and do it. Well, this is. I mean, one thing I'm interested with. Any actor I talk to, and, and, and certainly with you, because, you know, because of my age, my introduction to, to you is Lin of Tawa, and it's Lin of Tawa in the context of being a kid watching Billy T. James, Macphail and Gadsby, um, the variety shows, the end of Tiwiteka, all of that sort of stuff that was happening in New Zealand. Um, obviously, you're good. Then, when do you know that you're good, though? Like, when do you, you know, when do you go, I can do this? money's going to come, um, people are interested, I'm going to get gigs. Now, when does that sort of thing kick in for you? Can you pinpoint I don't it? think, I don't think,
1: I don't think there's any arrogance in knowing you're good. Mm. It's like a cabinet maker has got, has got a, a craftsmanship and a, and an instinctive flair for being a very good cabinet maker does not make that cabinet maker vain. Mm-hmm. I thought from quite a young age. Well, I, I work backwards. My daughter, who was a ball of insecurities from a broken home and all mm-hmm. that, you know, she suddenly said she wanted to be an actress, and I thought, no, dear, oh, you th- no. <laughs> yeah. So she was still at school, I can't remember how old, 15 or 16, and a very, very good female performer, New Zealand, was doing a show at Downstage, which involved her doing at least 22 different personas. Mm -hmm. Now, all the publicity had been that this was some sort of wunderkind girl and woman girl. So I said to my daughter... I have actually bought tickets, which I don't often do, I just sc- sc- yeah. comps. Um, I am dragging you to this, because if you really, really want to be an actress, here's someone who I believe is, you know, very superior at it. And mm. I thought it might put her off. Mm. And she wasn't a vain girl. I don't think she is now, even though she's enjoying, you know,
0: mm.
1: um, success. She's in the pop-up globe. We go to the show. It was quite good. It wasn't as good as I sort of thought, but it was, you know, very accomplished. And as we left, this daughter of mine, who never showed off, I said, so, what do you think of that? Enjoy that? And she said, yes, but I think given the right circumstances, be I better. could be better. <laughs> and I said, I'm so proud of you, because yeah. I'd worried that she was perhaps a little in, too insecure of her. But I thought if she's determined to do it, and that's how she believes, mm. then she she is, she can, and she will. It's the right thing. Yeah. yeah. it's the right thing for her to say. And back to me, when when when. Yeah. What was your version of that? Well, a group a group of us, 14 or 15 year olds, all went to the Roxy Cinema in mm. downtown. It's not there anymore. Mm. We would see Gl- Glenda Jackson writhing around in the nude. Not an attractive sight in um, in that Ken Russell movie about Tchaikovsky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever seen that? I have, yeah, yeah. And Glenda was quite mannered anyway. I mean, you know, mm. in my view. Mm. And we came out and one of our number, a girl, who wasn't a bad actress herself, said, Oh, I just hope that one day... I can be as good as Glenda Jackson. And I didn't say anything because I thought, (laughs) shut up, I'm better. I'm better than her. (laughs) But I didn't think I was being vain. I just sort of... um, I sort of... Hopefully was more better... More better. You just sort of know you can do stuff. Mm, mm. And also being in England... um, Was a because there wasn't a drama school, there weren't yearly influxes of massive talent, like mm. there are now. I mean, mm, you've mm. got these triple, quadruple threats of people mm. who can dance like Zizi jean sing, do comedy, act, you know... And and possibly write and produce it as well. Yeah, yeah and yeah. then own a <laughs> vineyard at the same time. I mean, you know, I can only do one thing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I know my place... But I knew it quite early because I knew, while I knew I was good, I went, and everyone was telling me, oh, you're marvellous, at 18 and 19. And I said, yes, I'm going to England. They'll recognize my talent. <laughs> but they had things co- like, called cattle calls that I'd never heard of, particularly hmm. for West End productions, where they were wanting, like, say, a 17 year old schoolgirl. And you'd go along. And you'd find, like, literally 32 girls who all looked much the same and who were all good. But I was always getting... They'd go, the girl in blue, step forward. <laughs> and, you know, and i go, it's me, of course it's me, I'm marvellous. And you'd get these callbacks and callbacks. But in almost every instance, my life in England was both a... Um, what do you call it? A having seen senior moment, a confirmation that I was mm. worth something and not, mm. because they would whittle it down to the last two, the between me and some other girl, and the other girl would always get it, and I used to think, what's happening? I don't think it helped that I'd say, not bad for a girl from New Zealand, I said it every time, someone said, why do you keep saying that, it's very off-putting to them.
0: <laughs> That's the... Um Insecurity complex that New Zealanders had at that time, isn't it? Of you've already achieved more than a lot of New Zealanders by getting there, <laughs> like getting to that place. So your little defence mechanism is to say, "Well, well, I wanted to go, new, 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 new. I fooled you because <laughs> yeah. you know I'm doing an RP
1: voice, yep. doing an audition, la 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 la." And so they go, "We're thinking of you." Well, yes, well, I'm from New Zealand and <laughs> get fooled you. But it never had the effect I wanted. <laughs> they were always furious. I um, I was up for the lead, not the lead, but there were six leads. There was a TV series called Angels about young student nurses. It was quite groundbreaking mm. at the time, and it ran for many seasons. I had so many auditions for that, for the plain one with glasses, mm. that... The last time I went out there, I was um, having Christmas drinks in the office with the head of production and the producer. Hmm. And um, I thought, I'm in here. And then I said, not bad for a girl from New Zealand. And then I got a call after that from a very nice producer. He said, listen, I, you know what work, works like in England for young actresses. and..." You and Claire, somebody, you were so good, and we were going to have you, but we cannot in all conscience have a New Zealander in that role of an English girl when they so, so no. Wow. And I thought, you, Shanet, you're just an idiot. But um, it, it had a strange payoff because a, a quite well-known um, Australian TV director few months after that, came to see me at the Royal Court in a play, a David Williamson play. Mm. And he got hold of me and said, I, I thought you, I liked your work, and I'm directing some angels. And I, do you know angels? And I said, I do. <laughs> and he said, well, I've got this part that comes in and out, a recurring role of, like, a woman in her 50s who's from Yorkshire. Mm. Well, anyway, I'm going to make it an Australian nurse in her 20s and I'd like you to do it. And I said, oh, I not So I did get into Angels, but mm. not quite the way not, I wanted. Yeah. But it, um, they'd ring me up now and again and say, can you do another go? And and it was quite good because I only had a few lines. I just sort of had to be laconic and tough, you know.
0: Well, what brought you back to New Zealand? What was the... Uh, what was the end of that leg of the journey, the English experience? Well, it was emotion. It yeah. was
1: more personal. I mean, I, I'd gone at 19, and because I'd been in the, I'd mm. been in a Catholic school and then the theatre, I mean, I might as well have been in a friggin' nunnery. I, um, I was quite innocent. I, I was a weird... I minced around looking sophisticated, <laughs> speaking in my RP accent, but, mm. I, you know... I, I was really innocent. I went at nineteen. It was quite grungy in London in the seventies. You know, a lot of hash. That doesn't agree with me. Pretty shoving hash at you. A lot of very unpleasant men. Um, all these disappointments with auditions, and then getting in something, hmm. and the sheer um, uh, what do you call it? Pressure of being in yeah. things. Yeah, terror. Not not, not quite but but, um, I got very depleted, very um very depleted, and I still really liked England, and I still do, and I'm beside myself about brexit, I mean, I think that's the worst thing ever to happen, but um could potentially happen hmm. but um i thought I said i'm going. I remember saying to somebody, you take my room, I'm coming back in Hampstead, and I put all my things in a trunk and said, I'll be back, I'm just going to, you know, (laughs) find my feet, because I was,
0: not unhinged, but, you know. Well, it's a manic, like that thing you were describing of getting to the, the final two, and being told, you know, not this time, or whatever, that's, that's a a template for a manic existence for that—that that is the the um, the bind of being an active or a creative person for a lot of people that that's almost a metaphor for the career that not this time but next time and then, and then getting the role and it isn't the role you actually wanted and so it would create a manic state of really mind hard. well sort of irony
1: when I was all booked and go and it was a big mm. deal you know I got a call from my agent saying the BBC i Been in England five years. I'd auditioned for BBC Radio Drama, because I'd done a lot of radio drama. Auditioned in, like, my first month in England for, you know, English roles. And the week I was leaving, five years later, have never heard from them again, Hmm. um, my agent ran and said, there's a lead, the BBC want you to come and do this lead on the radio and the BBC. And I said, well... I'm sorry, I'm off. It took them five years. Mm. Um, anyway, I don't know, it's like going down a dark place, but it was a good thing for me to come back. It really was. It was. Um... And my mother, who wasn't particularly motherly, did a very touching thing. She knew I loved whitebait, because that's all I could think of in my darkest moments, mm. was seafood. I, perhaps my dark moments were lack of iodine or something, <laughs> I don't know. But in England, I wanted whitebait, I wanted
0: snapper, I wanted things I couldn't. Well, you're thinking of the comforts of home. You're thinking of the, that were that didn't even feel like luxuries. I guess so. But she,
1: who was quite self-absorbed, had hoarded whitebait in the freezer. <laughs> so that when I came back, all sort of... Bit, it was on tap. <laughs> a bit sort of... Well, she had a lunch. She she, I arrived just before lunch and there was a we sat down, and we and there was a towering pile of white bread wow. which I kind of, in a sort of semi comatose <laughs> state, munched my way through. But it, I'm really touched
0: mm. by that. Mm. You um, so then you come home and you, tower happens among other things.
1: Yeah, well I'd done tower t- yeah. Yeah, yeah. before and I'd forgotten about it. Yes, and. Um, what happened? Oh, I lived at home for a while. Um, well, you see, I was only 24 when I came back. Mm, so mm. I felt about... I felt very world-weary. I felt about 80, but I lived there, and then I said I was going off to flat at Oriental Bay, and my mother looked like I'd stabbed her in the heart. <laughs> well, she was enjoying having me there. Yeah. And somewhere in that first year, Oh, no, that was quite soon. I watched Close to Home on telly. And, and like, my mother had done 30-odd years before, someone said, oh, you'll be in Close to Home before. <laughs> and I said, I don't think so. I thought, oh, how ghastly. <laughs> well, it did seem rather rough and ready, mm, you know, to mm. my British sensibilities. Anyway, they asked me to go out and... Um, a guy called Ross Jennings who's now sadly dead who I'd known in television before I went um, had become head of drama I think Mm. or head of something and he said do you want we would like you to be in close to home playing a 38 year old like this is me Mm. uh, getting on for 25 38 year old nymphomaniac housewife from Tipuki with a 15-year-old daughter. I said, oh. Well, anyway, I, I, I thought about it, but anyway, I did it. And it was great fun. I mean, I was playing this sultry, mm. slappery woman. And, um, and it was during that time, because I was out at Avalon all the time, it was like literally, if you could open your mouth and talk, you were considered talent, mm-hmm. like for those... There was a lunchtime show called Good Day, and one day they said to me, oh, can you come in here? Uh, we're having an impromptu judging of a music thing live on air. Can you come and be one of the judges? I said, I don't know anything about music, but anyway, go in there and sort of talk. So they kept asking me to do things which I I didn't quite realise the impact. Now I'd be thinking, <laughs> ooh, marketing, branding, you know. Mm. And then they said, Can you come tomorrow and do this? Um, we're doing a spoof celebrity roast of Judith Five, who was a presenter. Can you um, be her school chum, old school chum? And I rang my brother Michael McDonald and I said, well, I don't know what, because he's sort of my confidant and you know partner in crime. I don't know what to do. How do I approach this? And he said, Be Lin of Tower." I said, I can't be Lin of Tower. I'm too old now. And I was like, 26th of July He said, I'll oh, get on with it and I'll write you something. And he literally, because there wasn't an email or fax, he rang me back and I was scribbling this script down and went on TV and did it.
0: With the script? Yeah, well, yeah, well with the, the notes. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, the Bill Clinton glance, he's yes. the master at it. <laughs> And, um, and it was Malcolm Kemp who was very important in the entertainment department. Sort of it, it took his fancy and he put me in a, some sort of variety show with a three-minute monologue every week. And Michael wrote all the monologues. And the irony was that as the, in the Writers Guild or whatever it was, he got more <laughs> than I got. I mean, I got, I don't know, it was in the hundreds, yeah, know, a couple yeah. of hundred or something. And I just sort of did it. You know just sort of didn't think too much of it but just sort of grew from there then it got a show and a one-off and then a series mm-hmm.
0: and the variety the Royal Variety performance is obviously um, part of the oh, yeah. a big part of the story of that as well um, you, I watched. I mean, I, as I say, I grew up watching some of these, and then I've watched some of them again recently, the because of the funny as doco, and just watching some of the clips of Linatawa, and it always struck me how, um, you sort of you've sort of already explained this, but how they were writing exercises as well as you know there were monologues, like there was a craft to how they were written, and then you brought the character alive. It wasn't that. Yeah, no, it wasn't my, that you were indulging a natural comedian, you know, comedy streak and going. No, riffing no on no, that. No, they no, were written. Perfor- they were written performances for an actor. They, but you they, know, I couldn't have known that when I saw them the first time around. I said, "Who is this funny woman?" Well, what, Michael, what M- Michael's brain is extraordinary because even in recent
1: times, when I've had to write a speech, because mm. now I'm commonly thought of as a comedian, mm. and if there's a dollar in it, I'll force myself <laughs> to be one, you know. I can be funny, how much is it paying? <laughs> yeah. So I've written speeches and I said, Michael, what do you think of this? And he's tossed in a few things that are really brilliant. Mm. And then I reread it to him and he goes, oh, Shit, that's good, Nettie, that's so good. And I said, well, you wrote it. And he said, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, well, it's your words. When did I say them? But I mean, it's like the minute they're out his mouth, he doesn't know, I'm just going to stand in the doorway. Yeah. Fag. I'm glad you're interviewing me because I was very nervous about this read through.
0: Now, just... now, now you're getting to miss some of it. Um, well, it's just, uh, you know, what I realised when I went and watched some of those clips again is, and I mean, I guess this is what any actor is trying to do, but whether you do comedy or drama, for you it's about the creation of a character and and becoming that character and and putting the character across, you know? I'm not big on analysis about it. I think it sort of takes away the magic. It's not your job
1: to be right, like... Um, All I would say is I read an interview with... Jake Nicholson, at first glance, you would think he's just the same because he's got a very pugnacious face. Um, You just think he's Jack and everything. If you watch a few of his films back-to-back, he's actually very accomplished actor. Yep. He's not Jack. That Schmidt film was a triumph. Oh yeah. And then of course a few good men, but, but several roles he's done. Yeah. I thought actually Jack, yours quite something and then I saw I read an interview with him and he said oh, you know, people talk a lot of crap about how they approach a role and method and all this. He just he said, I just I just read the part and think, how would I be Jack, if I was this person, mm. and I thought, well, actually, that's the nearest to it I can explain how I approach things. Mm, mm. How would I be if I were this person?
0: Simple as that. You did the play with with your daughter a couple. You're still doing it every now and then. The the I guess the um, Tom Scott play about his mother, Joan. Joan, yeah. And you know, you were, I think I stayed on after it. Um, happened at Circa one of the nights where they do the kind of Q&A afterwards and you were talking about how you knew the real Joan you knew Tom's mother so you obviously had that in your, um, in, your in your toolbox or whatever but I just think just, just describing your mother and your mother's story of coming to New Zealand that must have fed into it for you too, and then of course you're working with your own daughter. Yes, it was. A, if you think about the poignancy factor. Yes, but um, it was um, it
1: was it was a great joy. Well, it was it made me think about the trials of my mother. In fact, even the description, which was taken out of the stage thing, but in the script mm. of Tom Scott's Joan, her describing arriving on the liner just after the war and looking at all the rickety wooden houses, you know, on the hill above Ointel Bay and thinking, Mm -hmm. what have I come to? Like some town in the Yukon, which is exactly what my mother thought. You know, it's so far away from your family and everything. And I'm in this... Yeah, it put things into perspective. Mm -hmm. The great thing about doing Joan was my daughter had gone to Bicardi, been through that whole process of yeah. drama school. And I've worked, of course, with a number of kids now who've been through that school. And um, I, 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 it's really got the work ethic and their attitude. And pro- the place is producing really good citizens, if nothing else.
0: Mm, you know? mm, mm. Um, so what's, you know, you say... <laughs> You say if someone's going to pay you, you'll say some funny jokes in a speech or whatever. That's a good motivation for that. But what's your motivation for, or what are you, what are you looking for in the other roles that you, that you take on? Like, obviously, the Joan one, there's lots in that. It's an incredible um, piece of writing and an incredible character. Um, and then you've got whatever you can bring to it personally, which in that case was, was a lot. But what, what, what makes you go out for a role? You know, what are you hoping to what are you hoping to get outside of being paid <laughs> well
1: I'm very big on um, the fact that art, no art should be therapy for the person hmm. especially if people are paying to see it or buy it but um, because of an indulgence factor do you yeah, yeah indulgence yeah. Um, you're doing it for an audience but A bonus would be if you gain some insight. If you can portray insight into the human condition, for instance, Shakespeare, which I haven't done for years, but I love. um, If you can portray it, but you can also gain some personal insight, um, that's always good. It is always good working with new people. Everyone in this cast of um, The Pink Hammer, which Mm. we're about to... Today, which I'm Start. holding
0: you up from starting Oh, well, no, rehearsal. <laughs> right, there's
1: five minutes. Yeah. Um, apart from Alex Gregg, all the women I have not worked with, but I have great respect yeah. for their work. Their work is all seems to be very different, or their styles. So it's going to be a fascinating thing. Mm. And despite the publicity, I'm not the lead. In fact, I read it again this morning, and I'm. Um, I'm like a kind of spectre at the feast in a way. <laughs> um, I have probably I would say less lines than anyone else. Right.
0: Well, Harriet Preble and um, Bromonture, I've seen do a lot of staggeringly good work at Circa over the last wee while.
1: Harriet Prebble, well, both of them, but but Harriet is an absolute shape-shifter. Sh- yeah. She um she, she she looks she transforms herself into every role. Yeah. Extraordinary, I don't think I've seen that for years, that sort of, um, and she seems a normal enough girl, (laughs) it's just that she's like a canvas and you just paint on it or she paints herself on it and various, you know, she can be fat, thin, sexy,
0: not sexy, extraordinary, so we'll see. So the pig ham is going to start I mean people will hear this before it starts But it's going to start at the start of September And roll through till October um, Apart from working with great people What's exciting you about this? What's,
1: well I wouldn't say exciting But Michelle Amas Who sadly passed away mm, um, Two years ago I think mm. um, Was a very accomplished actress And quite witty and decided in, in her 40s, I think, she was only just 50 or something, mm. if she was. She decided quite late in life that she wanted to write. And so she did the Bill Manhire yeah. writing course and got top of the class and everything. And then said to Circa, I'd like to write you a pantomime, but I don't want it to be just, you know, a crappy old... I want it to be one that is commercially successful because what's the point otherwise mm, It's mm. A girl after my own heart. <laughs> she wrote the best panto I have seen since I was five and my parents took me to the David Tinkham pantos at the Opera House, which mm. were superb, mm. if you get them out of Play Market. It was wonderful because it was the perfect balance of sophisticated, filthy humour for adults. Mm. That went right over the kids' heads and lovely kids' stuff as well and it was just brilliant and that was the first thing. I'm not sure what else she wrote. I mean, she wrote books of poetry and yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. this Pink Hammer, she already knew she wasn't very well right. when she wrote it. Now, my character is older than Michelle and not really like her, but the closest to oh, Michelle yeah. in the dry wit, the bravery... Um, you know, the acceptance of things. I had not worked with Michelle at all in all the years until um, just before she died. We did a, a sort of kids' play here, and it was a great joy. She wasn't well, but you wouldn't have known on stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, before that, I wouldn't have felt, like, worthy, which is a stupid emotive word, but... A, I wouldn't have, because Michelle used to look at me with a sort of beady, suspicious look. I thought, oh, I don't know, not altogether sure we'd get on. But <laughs> in this, um, in this thing, it was a, it was a joy. She was battling, and she'd at lunchtime make up her potions in a one of those bullet things. And yeah. I said, oh, that crap's not doing you any good. Why don't you have a piece of chocolate? And she'd say don't speak to a dying woman like that. And I'd say, that's getting lame, that dying stuff, you know. And it was all... (laughs) It sounds dreadful now, but it it, it was... um, uh, uh, We we enjoyed working together, I think I can say, with some confidence. And so it's, it's an overused word, but it is an honour to be in this.
0: Well it's a tri- yeah, it becomes a tribute to her to mm. perform perform mm. the work now.
1: And it's quite moving this play because mm. it has a sad ending but not one that you would expect. It's a perfect balance um, as one would expect from someone with the philosophy she had on the panto of getting an audience in of a wider demographic. Spectrum as possible. There's something for butch unreconstructed men. Mm. There's something for women. There's a little dig at female empowerment, and then there's sort of life and death issues. And and she all she's done is created a workshop in Johnsonville where poor women turn up to learn how to do woodwork. But like everyone on the planet, they've all got some issue.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like a version of you finding yourself at the acting classes and finding people like you.
1: Yeah, except they're not alike and yeah. they, they don't necessarily get on. But over the weeks, they acknowledge each other's frailties and they become a little unit. Yeah, a little club. Which tends to happen, you know, everywhere, even dog walking. Yeah. you, know, you cluster in little groups. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's great. I think people will really like it, because it's commercial. Yeah. Which people think is a dirty yeah. word.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it's a, a necessity for a place like this, isn't mm. it? Circus seems to be doing um, a good job of pulling in people with a good range of works. over the la- Well, always, but over the last few years, I think, they're st- trying to strike that balance of pushing the envelope, mm. but also bringing people in. I mean, what did you think of Bernhur? You're a polit- you're a you're a political fiend. You love politics. <laughs> I don't. I don't you, you hate politics. I you're do not love <laughs> politics. I'm not a political fiend. I'm I'm
1: you're I'm part of the resistance. Yeah. Um fighting against this stinking spreading scourge of unevolved right-wing thought that's mm. Has its nucleus, and oh, I don't know where. Well, I mean, obviously, it certainly has
0: its poster child in Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, poster child.
1: I, I find, for my own sanity, I don't actually actively follow. Yeah. No, I, I do actively follow. That's the trouble, because I've become this sort of online warrior to an audience of about two. <laughs> um, in real life, I very,
0: I um, yeah, I don't. I avoid talking about it. Okay, well the question is what did you think of Bernhur so that way you can talk oh, about politics that, that way you can talk about politics without talking about politics I thought Bernhur was great yeah. I, were... I, just, I saw you at the opening night and I,
1: thought, well, I loved it very I... sophisticated piece of writing mm. from an extraordinarily young man yeah. and I, I'm, he's someone who obviously has, um, has the knowledge of the age, ages and was born like that and, uh, was very good and it, 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 there was a character in there that was, I thought was monstrous but we all know people like that, and yes, the whole politics thing. And
0: I think that well, in a funny kind of way, almost every character in it is monstrous. I suppose so. You know, or well, they're all flawed, aren't they? They're all yeah. They're all unlikable on no some level. No biting. No biting. She's all right. She's just but I, but you I don't want to encourage her. Yeah. Okay, she's not. She's a nice dog. She's all right. She's behaving.
1: Simon, I'm. You need to go. I do because I. It's now five minutes late.
0: Okay. Is that we well, got enough? Yeah, man, we've had a good chat. Is there anything that you wished you'd got to talk about, or I should have no, brought up? That no, no. Um, I haven't you, bugged you too much. No, not at all.
1: Not at all. If you do, you want to ring me if you need any more info?
0: Yeah, well, I can do that. Yeah, I'll turn this off. I've got it, and um, you can.
1: I've got to can't these ca- very. Optimistic cards I had done twenty years ago when I left <laughs> television. A very big notary.
0: Is that the right? Yeah. The oh, well, I need one of these just for you know. Um. Yeah, look at that. But um. Fantastic. Yeah, Nahela, no, it was a great pleasure to meet you and to and to, and to get to know a bit about you and, uh, and oh well let's... and to have this chat and I'm looking forward to seeing the pink hammer. Oh yeah. Well, if Colleen going to give you comps? I, I hope so. Yeah, I reckon she will. Well,
1: if you
0: speak to it, remind her. Yeah. All we'll do. Hey, thanks heaps. You'll remember me When the west wind moves Among the fields of barley You can tell the sun in his jealous sky When we walked in fields to Gõ